Well, it's kind of fun that, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that I made a brand new CD, uh, it uh, skips, and um, it's been doing that for the last couple of weeks. I don't know whether it's a mer Mercury uh, retrograde, uh, retrograde, whatever, or uh, <laughs> I, I have no idea. Anyway, uh, regardless, our jazz feature tonight is uh, is pretty interesting. You are. Of course, uh, listening to The Jazz Show on CITR, and despite our truncated theme, um, we'll try and uh, see what the problem is. I think it's, uh, it could be essentially in the CD player itself, which is doing it, because this is a brand new CD uh, of the theme, and uh, it's still doing those skips. So, anyway... We'll uh, probably uh, be able to hear the full version at the end of the show. And if you're around for that, <laughs> okay. And, of course, if you're a regular listener, you've heard this theme so many times, as I have, that you can uh, hum along with the solos and everything else. All right. Enough. We're going to get to uh, tell you what the show is. It is The Jazz Show, and my name's Gavin Walker, and you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And do I have a treat for you this evening? Um, this is the, we're going to uh, listen to a very special um, edition of the jazz show because we're actually back into the um, back-to-school, back-to-work mode. And every September, we do, in no particular order, two entertaining and educational jazz features. And the first one is this evening. And it's by the great alto saxophonist Julian Cannonball Adderley. Now, those of you that have heard this before... Uh, you can always derive something new from it. Those of you who have not heard this uh, narrated um, short history of jazz or overview of jazz, um, you're in for a treat because Cannonball Adderley began, uh, Julian Adderley was born in Florida, and he began his uh, career, uh, he actually graduated from college at age 18. He's brilliant. He had an IQ as uh, high as... Uh, Mount Everest. And, um, of course, at 18, he was also an accomplished musician. And um, he graduated from university and, and got his degree and got into, he was teaching high school, and he was teaching music in school. And, um, you know, he, he is, was a natural communicator and uh, just a very easy speaking voice and just an easy way of putting across uh, knowledge and ideas. And, of course, uh, in the mid-50s, um, during summer vacation, he and his brother, Nat, actually, Brother Nat had already been on the road with uh, uh, Lionel Hampton's band, so experienced that. Cannonball had never done any of that, although he uh, had served in the uh, U.S. Army and in the forces, and done he had done some traveling, but... In terms of professional life, uh, as a musician, he, he had done very little. Anyway, uh, as it turned out, the um, 
the two Adderley brothers uh, from their home in Florida decided uh, during uh, summer vacation um, to go up to New York City. And, of course, the rest is history. They um, sat in at one of the most important jazz clubs in New York at the time, which was called, in Greenwich Village, was, which was called the Cafe Bohemia. And at the Bohemia, the two Adderleys, although they were kind of, um, looked a little bit like country bumpkins at the time, um, had their instruments and had requested that they sit in with the band. And uh, the band leader, who was bassist Oscar Pettiford, uh, decided toward the end of the evening that he would invite the Adderley brothers up. And, of course, he looked at Cannonball Adderley, who was a big man, and um, just kind of looked at him. <laughs> and and the, the alto saxophone looked kind of like a little toy uh, because Cannonball was a, a very large-figured man. Anyway, uh, Pettiford, of course, and this being New York City, uh, said, yeah, all right, um, come on, you guys come up and play. And, and uh, then he proceeded to call a very tough tune at a very, very fast tempo with the idea that perhaps these bumpkins uh, would be embarrassed off the bandstand. Anyway, as it turned out, Cannonball Adderley took the first solo and blew everyone away. They were left open-mouthed. Nat Adderley followed and played beautifully as well. And immediately the Adderley brothers were accepted on the, on the New York scene. And word uh, got around that um, they would be back the following night and would be playing with the band for the whole evening. And, of course, uh, the rest is history. It's almost like a storybook thing. And, of course, the, um, after a few nights, uh, a couple of uh, recording executives showed up. And um, Cannonball and Nat made their first recording in New York City for Savoy Records. And um, the, soon after that, uh, the advice of a young man named Quincy Jones, he said, Mercury Records a much bigger company, is looking for new artists. And I'm, I've got an in at Mercury Records. I work for them. I do arrangements for them. And I'm going to recommend for you, and I recommend to you, both of you, that you sign with Mercury Records. And that's what they did. And so they recorded their first album uh, for Mercury um, in the same month, July and August of 1955 the two brothers, Cannonball, Julian Adderley, um, and brother Nat, Nat, who played the uh, cornet, which is a smaller, sharper version of the trumpet. That's how the, Canna that's how the Adderley brothers got in. Now, Cannonball, as I said, was an experienced uh, school teacher and that sort of thing, so our jazz feature tonight um, is, as I said, a brief overview of, of jazz music. And it's narrated by uh, Julian Adderley. Now, there's two limitations to this. It was recorded in 1960, so it, it leaves out a big uh, chunk of uh, uh, contemporary jazz history. Uh, we're not going to hear about um, 
the avant-garde in the 60s with Ornette Coleman and Cecil Taylor and these people um, and, and John Coltrane's music. We're not going to hear about that. Uh, although we'll hear about John Coltrane, yes, because he was beginning his career at that time. Um, we're not going to hear about the, um, the uh, coming of electronic instruments into jazz, which became what we call fusion music fusion between uh, different uh, and, or, and some of the uh, aspects of world music coming into jazz, the neocon move, movement uh, headed by Wynton Marcellus in the early 80s, uh, bringing jazz back to acoustic um, uh, instruments, you know, real pianos, etc., etc. Um, we're not going to hear about any of that because the, uh, this album was recorded in 1960, but it does give you a great... Uh, view of the early history of jazz and what the music is all about. So that's the importance of it. The other limitation of this is that some of the, they weren't able to use a lot of recorded examples because they would have had to, this small company would have had to lease them from big companies and back in the day that cost a lot of money and they couldn't afford that. So the recorded examples that we hear on this are um, albums that are available to this small company, which was Riverside Records. And it was run by the redoubtable Orrin Keep News. And Riverside Records became one of the best and best-known jazz independent labels. So that's the two limitations. Other than, other than that, it's a, a great uh, overview of jazz music, and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, it as I said, if you've heard it before... You'll hear something new in it, and if you've never heard it before, you're in for a treat. But what I'd like to do first, before we even get into the history of jazz, we're immediately going to follow that. I would like to play you one of my very favorite early Cannonball Adderley show, solos um, and performances to show you what, what an incredible musician he was. Cannonball actually died in 1975, and he was one of the foremost alto saxophone players in the world. He has been compared to Charlie Parker, Benny Carter, and all these people. And of course, uh, right from the get-go, he was playing so well. So here uh, is uh, one tune, my favorite track from uh, this album called simply Julian Cannonball Adderley. It was his very first album on Mercury Records, done in July of 1955. Features um, a small band put together by Quincy Jones, who did the arrangement on this. And I won't name all the, the horn players, but I'll tell you John Williams. Johnny Williams is playing piano. Paul Chambers is playing bass. And Kenny Clark is on drums. And then uh, it's augmented by some horns. But the main feature here is the alto saxophone of Cannonball Adderley. And we're going to hear that and immediately follow that with Cannibal's narrated history of jazz. So here is Cannibal Adderley playing The Song Is You.
You have just heard two very different sounding examples of the American music called jazz. This record is concerned with telling you and letting you hear something about what jazz is. Not in a music lesson way, but something about what jazz sounds like and why it sounds that way and about some of the many people who've played it and are playing it today. So it seems a good idea to begin by letting you hear these two samples. The first was what jazz sounded like back in the 1920s, which was long before your time. Although I'm sure you've heard of one of the musicians on that record, Louis Armstrong, who was a very young man then. Following that was a little of a record made just a couple of years ago. And one of the musicians on that one happens to be me. The first is called Chimes Blues, and mine is Barefoot Sunday Blues. These two selections must have sounded very unalike. And of course, in many ways, they are very different from each other because a great many things can change in music and in the whole world, for that matter, in almost 40 years. But in two ways, those two different pieces of music are really very similar. For one thing, both are blues, which means that they have the same musical form. The melody of both is 12 bars long. And even more important is something that I hope you were able to hear in both of them. A feeling of sadness in the first example and happiness in the second. For one of the most important things that almost all music is concerned with, and for that matter, almost all stories and paintings, is the way people feel about things, their emotions. You feel like laughing when you're very happy, or smiling when you're pleased, or crying when you're very unhappy. A painter, or writer, or dancer, or singer, or a musician is very often expressing feelings like those. Of course, it's not quite that simple, but one thing that you should remember in listening to this album and to any jazz you hear anywhere is that jazz is very much a matter of people expressing their feelings, their thoughts, their ideas about life, and doing it through their music. Back at the beginning of this century, in the very early 1900s, there was no such thing as jazz, but there were in many parts of America, and particularly in the South, a lot of different kinds of music that were soon to lead to the beginning of jazz. Rhythm, a definite musical beat, is a basic part of jazz. To some extent, you can trace this back to the drum music of Africa, from where slaves were first brought to America centuries ago. Chances are that the music of Africa hasn't changed too much so that this recent example of Congo drumming is a good deal like that of long ago. Working hard in the fields have always depended on rhythm to make their job seem easier, or at least to seem to move along more regularly. Add a melody and repeated phrases, and you have a work song. And it often doesn't sound too different from the blues. Here's an early blues singer named Blind Lemon Jefferson, 
singing a sort of work song blues that might have begun long ago in a southern sugarcane field. kinds of music, like brass band marches and spirituals, also played a part. And there were also the very catchy melodies of a kind of music called ragtime. Here's Scott Joplin, one of the most famous ragtime composers and piano players, and his best-known tune, Maple Leaf Rag, which you've probably heard before. these pieces didn't suddenly fit together one day and call themselves jazz. As a matter of fact, although there have been lots of stories about that word jazz, no one seems really sure where the word comes from or when people started using it. But early in the 1900s, in the city of New Orleans, small groups of musicians were playing a music that had many of those before jazz sounds in it. Let's listen again to part of that chimes blues we heard at the start of this record and see if you can hear some of those sounds in it.
The band that played Chimes Blues was led by a famous trumpet player named Joe Oliver, but known as King Oliver. King, as you might imagine, means that he was considered the very best. Music was a very important part of life in New Orleans. The early jazz bands played in parades and at weddings and other big occasions. And it was no small honor to be known as king. But musicians, like all show business people, usually don't stay too long in one place. After a while, these musicians and their jazz began to move on. And King Oliver was one of many who went north to Chicago, which became the next big jazz center. But since our story is going to travel to different cities and through many years right up to the present, before we move on from New Orleans, we should point out that many musicians stayed right there. And those stayers and many of the movers continued to play jazz in pretty much the same early style. Listen to two records made about 20 years after Chimes Blues. The first is by a stayer, clarinetist George Lewis, playing a spiritual, the old rugged cross. The second is a blues played by Sidney Bechet, who was such a mover that he ended up in France and who was the most famous player of a seldom used instrument, much like the clarinet, the soprano saxophone. <laughs> In Chicago, jazz was no longer so much a part of community life. There were no jazz band parades. But in Chicago in the 1920s, you could have heard a great many men and women who were the star entertainers of their day. Let's sample the music of some of them, beginning with a man known as Jelly Roll Morton. Jelly Roll was a piano player and a band leader and a songwriter and was also widely known for his flashy clothes and as one of the most boastful talkers ever. But his music was pretty flashy too, as in this piano solo of a tune of his called Perfect Rag.
this was also a time when blues singing was very popular, especially such moving and deep-voiced singers as Bessie Smith, and also Ma Rainey, who we'll hear now. Among the changes in jazz that were taking place in the 1920s was that it was being heard and played by more and more people. The musicians you've heard so far on this record have all been Negroes. But in Chicago, there were many white jazz musicians. Some of them were from New Orleans, too. And all of them certainly had listened to Oliver and Dodds and Louis Armstrong. Listen first to the band called the New Orleans Rhythm Kings and a bit of the Maple Leaf Rag and then to the beautiful trumpet of the famous Big Spiderbeck, who grew up not far from Chicago and who is playing the Royal Garden Blues, a tune which just happens to get its title from the Royal Gardens nightclub, where King Oliver's band played. Although we haven't talked much about the instruments used in playing jazz, you might have been able to notice that there's almost always a piano, drums, and either a tuba, or, as is always used now, a bass fiddle to keep the basic rhythm going. And the melody is usually played by such brass instruments as trumpet and trombone, and such reed instruments as clarinet and saxophone. Well, towards the end of the 1920s, Partly because jazz was often played for dancing in big ballrooms, more brass and reed instruments began to be added to jazz bands. The same kind of instruments as before, that is, but more of them, making bigger bands. Another thing that was happening towards the end of the 1920s was that Louis Armstrong, the young trumpet player who had been almost a pupil of King Oliver and had joined him in Chicago, was becoming the most famous and important of all jazz musicians. One of the first of the big jazz bands was led by a man named Fletcher Henderson, and it happened that Louis played for a while in that band. Still another thing that should be noticed is that solos began to become a very important part of jazz, meaning that instead of everyone playing together, as it happened most of the time with a band like King Oliver's, 
there were more and more times when a single instrumentalist, assisted by the rhythm instruments, would play his own variations of the melody. That, basically, is improvising, one of the words you hear most often in connection with jazz, and meaning creating your own music to some extent instead of sticking to the written down notes, which, of course, is part of the expressing your feelings through music idea that we pointed to at the beginning as so important a part of jazz. There has been improvisation in jazz almost from the start, but Armstrong can really be called the first great soloist, the man who first made the individual solo the most exciting and interesting part of a jazz performance. We can get some idea of all three points, big bands, Louis Armstrong, and solos by listening to Fletcher Henderson's orchestra in a recording with a solo by Louis. Jazz was certainly not staying in any one city all this time. Talented musicians could be heard in many places. For example, in New York, there was an unusual young piano player named Fats Waller, who also liked to sing in his own way, and who was one of the most funny performers of any kind. Listen to what he could do with something like Stephen Foster's Oh Susanna. In that growth of big bands, which became very important in the 1930s, no one was more essential than band leader and composer Duke Ellington. His first band may not sound too different from what you've heard so far, but it was the beginning of a very new form of jazz in which the big, rich sounds of a whole orchestra were used to express the ideas and feelings of this one man. Decide for yourself whether this early, not-too-big Duke Ellington band sounds like something different. Oh, 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 oh,
The story of jazz is very much a story of great individual performers, particularly those who were imaginative enough to do things that no musician had thought of before them. Louis Armstrong was one of them, of course, but in some ways, a man named Coleman Hawkins is even more remarkable. At least Louis had been able to learn from other trumpet players. But Coleman Hawkins plays tenor saxophone. He was a member of that Fletcher Henderson band you heard a little way back. And the saxophone had really been added mostly to help create that bigger, fuller dance band kind of sound. But Hawkins made the saxophone into a true jazz instrument simply by inventing a style of playing that produced wonderful original solos, thus showing the way for all the saxophonists who came along later, for which all of us are thankful. Hawkins is still playing, and still playing fascinating jazz, as on this tune called Think Deep, recorded just a few years ago. <laughs> The 1930s were the swing era, with big orchestras like those of Benny Goodman and Ellington and Count Basie and many others, playing a music that was much smoother and more carefully written down and more suitable for dancing than any earlier jazz had been. Swing referred mostly to that kind of easily rocking rhythm, whether fast or slow, but it was still jazz still a music that expressed emotions and had a place in it for the musical variations of an individual soloist. Often, however, it was when the men who played in the big orchestras were able to make records with smaller groups that they were able to feel closest to the kind of jazz feeling they liked best. For example, here is a small jazz group led by a trumpeter named Buck Clayton, who was with Count Basie's orchestra followed by another small group that includes musicians who regularly played in Duke Ellington's big band. 
the 1940s, there began to be another change in the form and sound of jazz, possibly the biggest change of all so far. It involved different ways of dealing with rhythms and harmony and even with melody. And it often called for much more musical schooling than had been needed to play jazz earlier. So for one thing, it sounded very strange indeed when first heard. Strange not only to the public, but also to older jazz musicians. And for another thing, it is harder to discuss or describe without getting into technical or complicated musical language. But bebop, which was the first name given to this new kind of music, and the other forms which have followed it, have come to be the accepted forms of jazz today. Really, the only kind of jazz that most of today's musicians, like myself, find a true and effective way of expressing ourselves. Modern jazz was largely created by the musical thinking and experimenting of such men as alto saxophonist Charlie Parker, trumpeter Dizzy Gillespie, and pianist Thelonious Monk. Listen to this example, a Thelonious Monk composition titled Epistrophe. The composer is at the piano, and the others include a very strongly rhythmic modern drummer, Art Blakey and two remarkable tenor saxophonists. One is Coleman Hawkins, who we first noted in the 1920s, and the other is the most inventive young modernist named John Coltrane. listening to modern jazz, you are bound to be confused by all the many names of performers and of styles, you know, cool jazz, soul music, hard bop, and lots more, none of which I intend to try to explain. The point is that today's jazz is still in the midst of being formed and reformed. The earlier forms, even though in some cases they are still being played today, can be looked at a bit more clearly since they are settled and won't be changing anymore. I can only recommend that you listen to records wherever you can and as much as you can, and I can mention a few of the many current names you will come across in your listening. There are trumpet players like Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis, and a great many younger men, including my brother, Nat Adderley. Listening to a bit of his work here will also give you a touch of two instruments we haven't mentioned before guitar and cello. The guitar has always been around in jazz. It was the instrument accompanying the blues of Blind Lemon Jefferson. But in today's jazz, it is more often played as a melody instrument, as if it were a horn, rather than as part of the rhythm, particularly when it is played by so inventive a guitarist as the one you can hear now, Wes Montgomery. 
Cello hasn't been mentioned because it is rarely a jazz instrument, except when a talented bass player, such as Sam Jones, makes use of it. Tenor saxophone is a widely popular jazz horn, and among the most important young musicians using it are John Coltrane, who we mentioned a moment ago, and Sonny Rollins, who really doesn't sound too different from Coleman Hawkins, but is obviously an artist with ideas all his own. keep your ears open for many others, too. J.J. Johnson, who plays trombone, a fascinating group called the Modern Jazz Quartet, who have devoted much of their thinking and playing to bringing jazz closer to concert hall music, and a great many pianists, such as Dave Brubeck and Ahmad Jamal, and a young man with a really beautiful piano sound, Bill Evans, who we'll listen to now. Most of today's jazz is played by small groups, but there have been and still are several large orchestras. Some of the most famous big band leaders of the modern period include Stan Kenton, 
Duke Ellington, who is still going strong, and Woody Herman. Here, for example, is what a recent Herman orchestra sounds like. Singing has always been closely connected with instrumental jazz. In the early days of New Orleans and Chicago jazz, there were the blues singers, like Blind Lemon Jefferson and Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. The swing period had its singers, like Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald, who is still one of the most enjoyable singers you could hope to hear. And in the present jazz period, several singers have attempted to express the same sort of newer and freer feeling as the instrumental musicians are doing. Probably the most successful has been Sarah Vaughan, who really has to be thought of as being as much of a musician and an improvising soloist as if she were playing a horn. I keep wishing I was somewhere else Walking down a strange new street Hearing words that I have never heard from a man I've yet to meet I'm as busy as a spider Spinning daydreams I'm as giddy as a baby on a swing I haven't seen a crocus Or a rosebud Or a robin Of course, today's jazz is very different from yesterday's. Just as the latest model automobiles look very different from a Model T Ford. But there are many similarities, and one way of emphasizing them might be to listen to a modern jazz group playing the same sort of tune that was played by New Orleans bands. Listen to an old spiritual, Wade in the Water, as recorded in 1960 by a band led by tenor saxophonist Johnny Griffin. Thank you. 
even when the tune is a brand new one, the jazz spirit can be very much the same as it has always been. I think that my band, if it is being successful in playing what we feel, means very much the same to people who hear us as the jazz groups of the 20s, or 30s, or 40s meant to their listeners, or as some very different sounding jazz musicians of the 1970s and the 80s and the 90s are going to mean to you and your children. Here is a final sample is one of our recent numbers. I hope that you have enjoyed this introduction to jazz and that it has given you some understanding of what this particular kind of American music is all about. I know and I want you to realize that this has not been any complete history. There's only been time to touch upon some of the highlights and some of the important points. I've had to leave out many details and a great many important ideas and great many names in the jazz story. But perhaps this album has started you towards an interest in this music and has made you curious and ready to start listening to what is to me and many others a most important and fascinating part of American music and life. I certainly hope it has.
And that was our jazz feature this evening. A history of jazz as narrated by Julian Cannonball Adderley. He was born in Florida in 1928 and died in 1975. A relatively young man, but his uh, influence and on jazz music, modern jazz, was absolutely enormous, like his talent. One of the leading voices of the alto saxophone, but he was a great communicator as well. Uh, on the bandstand, off the bandstand, and on a recording like this, and it's really too bad that uh, um, this is the only recording available of him doing this sort of project, and it's too bad that the um, powers that be uh, didn't hire him every five years to kind of update the history, um, add things to it, and uh, and just continue. But we do have this one recording, and we do this, as I mentioned, every year. Um, we play this, and next week we'll be featuring What is Jazz? A classic recording narrated by Leonard Bernstein, who takes a different um, kind of viewpoint on it, not more, not uh, sort of a history of jazz, but how, uh, what jazz is and what jazz isn't, and also how it's put together, how a song is put together and how musicians are able to improvise around that song and so on. So it's kind of an interesting perspective. And as I mentioned before, because this is, uh, you know, uh, and I use this old cliche, back to work, back to school, um, September, you know what I mean, um, we do this every year as part of uh, tradition on the jazz show. And as I said, those of you that may have heard this recording many, many times, um, there's always something new in there to discover or a name that you may not uh, want to explore more, this sort of thing. Um, and those of you who have never heard this recording, well, it's obviously quite a nice um, perspective of an earlier era of jazz music. The recording, as I mentioned before, uh, was made in 1960, so it leaves um, a hell of a lot of the history of uh, jazz music out because, well, it stops at 1960. What what else can I say? And, um, of course, so many things have developed since then, but the essence of jazz music is still very, very much the same, the core. And jazz is a fluid kind of music which has been influenced by outside sources and reinvents itself all the time. And, of course, there's so many new, great jazz artists on the scene. Uh, it's a little bit sad to hear um, Cannonball on this recording, as I mentioned before, done in 1960, where he talks about Duke Ellington still going strong and Coleman Hawkins, and so many of the musicians have, have passed on, including both of the Adderley brothers, uh, Cannonball and Nat. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed part one of our... Um, back-to-school idea uh, on the jazz show, uh, jazz feature. And next week, as I mentioned before, Maestro Leonard Bernstein will be presenting another viewpoint on jazz music and another classic recording. So this one was called A History of Jazz, narrated by Julian Cannonball Adderley. And after uh, some messages and station identification, all that kind of stuff, uh, we're going to play some live 
Cannonball Adderley from the Newport Jazz Festival. This is very rare stuff that has never actually come out on uh, commercial records. And um, the band is really hot. And, of course, uh, magnificent saxophone playing by Julian Cannonball Adderley. Incidentally, the final tune of that was, of course, Cannonball playing his own tune called the Barefoot Sunday Blues with Wynton Kelly on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Brother Albert Heath on drums. So um, just so you know, and we'll be hearing more of uh, Mr. Adderley this time playing music, and uh, it's going to be great stuff, so stay around. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9. My name is Gavin Walker, and, of course, we're also on the web, www.citr.ca, and uh, after these uh, messages, we'll be back with some more Cannonball Adderley. What can be better? The most powerful motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. <laughs> you know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined to show them that I could. Did you know CITR has an accessibility collective? Our new collective serves to explore issues of inclusion, equity, and accessibility for people with physical and cognitive disabilities on campus and beyond. If you love making radio, listening to radio, or want to get involved for the first time, come join our collective. We include people of all abilities, experience levels, and backgrounds in the production and programming of our show. Tune in to our weekly show, All Access Pass, from 5 to 6 p.m. on Thursdays for interviews, music, news, events, and awesome dialogues. If you want to get involved, email accessibilitycollective at citr.ca. Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. To a wonderful period of beautiful weather. Yeah, summer is back, at least for a little while. And I'll tell you, um, you better uh, soak it up right now. I know everybody's busy with uh, September stuff, but uh, the weather is just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, tonight is going to be clear with a low of 11, and then for the next um, couple of days, uh, absolutely beautiful sunny weather. Lows of 11 and highs between 20 and 25. 
So that's that's pretty nice. Uh, Thursday is um, a few clouds, but still a really nice day. It's a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 20, a low of 11. And then Friday, again, is uh, a beautiful sunny day with a low of 12 and a high of 20. And Saturday is a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 12 and a high of 21. And a bit of a downturn for Sunday. Cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 12 and a high of 20. Anyway, it's going to be a beautiful week. Get out there uh, as much as you can and enjoy it. It's... uh, back at least temporarily before uh well you know you know what follows right <laughs> this is vancouver anyway enjoy it right now you're listening to citr 101.9 broadcasting from ubc's point gray campus located on the traditional unceded coast salish territory of the hunkaminam speaking musqueam people well, our jazz feature was Julian Cannonball Adderley. We're going to continue and play some music. Uh, this is, as I mentioned before, this has never come out on a commercial record. And um, this, the sound quality is, is not uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, it's a little variable, but uh, it's because I think it was recorded from the stage. But it um, it all took place at the Newport Jazz Festival at Newport, Rhode Island, uh, June 30th, 1960. And it features um, the Cannonball Adderley Quintet with, of course, Mr. Adderley on alto saxophone, Brother Nat on cornet, and Barry Harris on piano. Sam Jones on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums. And, of course, uh, Barry is still with us, uh, and so is Lewis Hayes, very much alive. And uh, the other uh, gentlemen, of course, have uh, departed to the big band in the sky. But uh, the band was in top form for this performance at Newport, and as I mentioned before, the sound quality is a little variable on here, but the music is uh, really, really good. We're going to hear... the voice of Willis Conover, who was one of the voices of jazz on uh, Voice of America. And uh, we'll hear him introduce the band and introduce the first tune, which is Sam Jones' tune called Del Sazar. And uh, we heard that on the, uh, a little bit of it on the, uh, on the jazz feature. Um, and then we move from there to Nat Adderley's big hit, Work Song which was, became one of the most requested tunes in the repertoire of this band. And then a great tune by Tad Dameron and Dizzy Gillespie to close the set. It's an up-tempo thing, features some amazing playing by everybody. The tune is called Stay On It. So we take you back to the Newport Jazz Festival, June 30th, 1960, and here is the voice of Willis Conover to introduce Julian Cannonball Adderley and his quintet. The first group is led by the brilliant alto saxophonist, Julian Cannonball Adderley. Julian is a former high school music instructor and an articulate spokesman for jazz. His music is built around his alto saxophone and the cornet of his brother, Nat Adderley. 
The Julian Cannonball Adderley Quintet plays Del Sasser.
Now, this is perhaps the most musicianly of musicians, Mr. Adderley. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to play some quintet music now. Thank you. 
pianist is Barry Harris, our bassist Sam Jones, our drummer Lewis Hayes, my brother Nat Adley is our brass section, and me.
Julian Adderley. Recorded at Newport, the Newport Jazz Festival, June the 30th, 1960. As I mentioned before, the recording quality, at least on the first tune, was a little iffy, but uh, it improved um, over the next two tunes for some reason. And uh, none of this stuff has ever come out on uh, commercial recordings, so it's quite rare, and you're hearing it on The Jazz Show. And, of course, the band was the Cannonball Adderley Quintet, and he was the gentleman who narrated our jazz feature, of course. And uh, Mr. Adderley, the amazing Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, Brother Nat on cornet, Barry Harris on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. We heard three tunes. Uh, the first one was entitled Del Cesar, written by Sam Jones. The second one was, of course, Nat Adderley's big hit, the work song, and that was a huge hit for the band. And the final tune was the Tad Dameron Dizzy Gillespie up-tempo tune called Stay On It. And um, some amazing playing by everyone in the band. The whole band was cooking. And the we also heard the um, speaking voice of uh, Willis Conover, who was the voice of, uh, the voice, of voice of America. And, uh, of course, that was a, uh, they used to broadcast uh, jazz music overseas and down toward Cuba and all over the place. And uh, uh, Willis Conover was the uh, uh, presenter. And, of course, we heard uh, also the voice of Julian Adderley introducing the band. Hope you enjoyed that segment. And we're going to continue with some very different music now by some very different people. This is from an album called Evolutions, one of my favorite albums. It was issued on Blue Note, and um, it was considered quite um, avant-garde at the time. Um, it really was um, musicians, uh, several of them with uh, real traditional backgrounds, exploring new music. And the people involved here, the leader was a, a wonderful trombone player by the name of Gratian Monker III. And Gratian put this band together with Jackie McLean on alto saxophone. And in this context, really interesting to hear Lee Morgan on trumpet, who plays quite an amazing solo here, free form, kind of a free form solo. And Bobby Hutcherson, who we, uh, last few weeks, we've been paying tribute to. Um, who passed away just recently at age 75. Bobby Hutcherson is here, adding his vibes to the, the whole vibe. Bob Crenshaw on bass, and he was still a teenager then. Some amazing drumming by Tony Williams. This piece of music is written by Gratian Moncourt, and it's called Air Raid.
That was a piece of music called Air Raid. My favorite track from, uh, there's only four tunes on the album. And uh, that's, uh, that's my favorite, as I mentioned. Um, a composition by Gratian Moncour III. Wonderful trombone player, somewhat overlooked. And uh, definitely a wonderful composer as well. He, uh, he wrote that piece. And that featured, of course, uh, Gratian on trombone, Jackie McLean on alto saxophone, Lee Morgan on trumpet, Bobby Hutcherson on vibes, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and the teenage wonder on drums, Tony Williams. From uh, this Blue Note album recorded in uh, the latter part of 1963 called Evolution, Air Raid. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I always mention two wonderful websites to go on to. I'd just like to say that uh, this is The Jazz Show, and we're broadcasting from CITR FM 101.9, and we're located out at the campus of the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca, and Gavin Walker is my name, and Coming up is uh, some fine vocal stylings by one of the greatest. I'm talking about the still living, still traveling, still gigging, and still full of life, Sheila Jordan. We're actually going to go back to her very first album and one of the very first vocal albums. As a matter of fact, the first vocal album that was issued on Blue Note Records. And it's become a classic. The album was called Portrait of Sheila. But before we get into that, we would like to um, just tell you about a couple of websites uh, that we usually do. Just as a reminder, one of the websites, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. There's all kinds of things on that site, including the schedule and the ability on the website to make reservations and uh, book your seat, all that kind of stuff at the uh, finest jazz club downtown, Frankie's Jazz Club, which is uh, on Beatty Street, and it's right opposite uh, BC Place, and uh, it's just a, a great place and, and just some incredible music there, um, Thursdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, whatever, and food is wonderful, and the atmosphere and sound quality there is great as well, very comfortable spot. So you can make reservations. That's all backed up by the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and they also are producing their own concerts. They never sleep after the Jazz Festival. And, of course, they're busy planning for next year's Jazz Festival. That's what they do. And um, their website is extremely comprehensive, and it's coastaljazz.ca, coastaljazz.ca. And, of course, uh, it's always wise to... uh, most of us are on Facebook, and um, you can actually access uh, Pat's Pub. And uh, Pat's Pub, of course, which is down at the, uh, the old Patricia Hotel um, in the downtown east side. Yeah, that's a great place. They have uh, lots of jazz music down there, including regular jazz every Saturday afternoon. Nice thing about Pat's Pub is it's free. It doesn't cost anything, no cover charge, and some of our finest musicians play there, so do check it out, and there's other venues as well. Another fine website to get onto is the website of 
VancouverJazz.com. And uh, I always mention that, and that's uh, administered by my old friend Brian Nation. And uh, he does a good job keeping the site up to date, and there's always uh, relevant and recent information on there, as well as all kinds of uh, links and so on. Both of those websites are great, CoastalJazz.ca, VancouverJazz.com. And, of course, I always mention my good friend Ken Speller, Ken is a music instructor, and uh, he has a business called Music at Home. And what that means is that he'll come to your house and teach you how to play the uh, saxophone, the flute, and the clarinet. And he's an excellent musician himself, spent many, many years in Japan, and has performed professionally for many years. So he really knows what's happening. And um, he is also an excellent repair man. And um, he has his workshop right in his home. So if you need repairs on your instrument, if you're an amateur, professional, um, or student, and play the clarinet, the flute, or the saxophone, you know that these instruments have to be maintained. And uh, Ken is one of those people that can maintain your instrument, and it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg because he's, he does it from his home. And he's located in, um, in Burnaby, near Metrotown easy to get to, and um, uh, he does a wonderful job repairing, uh, tweaking, small tweaks or complete overhauls, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, he can advise you on um, a good instrument to buy or rent um, and tell you about the the different uh, brands and, you know, different qualities and so on. Very well informed. Anyway, he can be reached by telephone at... 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or K Speller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. That's K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Now back to music. And from this wonderful album called Portrait of Sheila, I'm really, um, I'm reading her biography and it's a really fine biography. It's called Jazz Child. And it's a history of this marvelous woman who uh, became and is one of the great icons and one of the great historical figures in jazz. She's 87 years old. And she's, she's, um, I just read uh, this evening that she's taken off for, uh, for Germany. She's doing a whole bunch of concerts over there. She, she doesn't slow down. She's an amazing uh, piece of uh, humanity. And, of course, she goes right back into the history of jazz. And um, she, uh, she was born and raised in, in, in Detroit and, of course, also lived in, the, uh, in Pennsylvania. And um, she, uh, she came from uh, um, a varied background and suffered all kinds of uh, slights and paid her dues, in other words, and um, worked for many years uh, as a secretary um, and and sung sort of on the side, continued her career, and um, quite an amazing story. It, it, it's really wonderful. So uh, check out her book. It's called Jazz Child, and um, it's a great book. So we're going to hear uh, some tunes from her legendary very first album, which was recorded for Blue Note Records way back in 1962. 
and a whole bunch of tunes. She's accompanied here by Barry Galbraith on guitar. A lot of people don't know about Barry Galbraith. He's one of the finest guitar players ever and such a respected uh, gentleman in terms of that instrument. And uh, although he didn't record a lot of uh, solo stuff, um, he is one of the most respected jazz guitarists. On bass, the wonderful Steve Swallow. And um, Steve is playing acoustic bass here. And on drums, one of the best brush masters, Denzel DaCosta Best on drums. We're going to hear a bunch of tunes. As a matter of fact, we're going to hear five of them from this album. We're going to begin with uh, an old tune called Am I Blue? And then we're going to hear a wonderful duet performance with uh, Sheila and uh, bassist Steve Swallow. And, and she's going to do Bobby Timmons' great tune that Oscar Brown put the words to called That There. And uh, then we're going to move to a tune called uh, a great standard that one of uh, Sheila's favorites called Baltimore Oriole. And um, then uh, a great ballad, which was uh, written, partially written by Frank Sinatra. And uh, it's a tune called I'm a Fool to Want You. And that's a great tune. Frank wrote that uh, tune um, after uh, breaking up with the love of his life, with, who was Ava Gardner, uh, the, the great actress. And um, Frank never really got over Ava Gardner. She was the one that really stole his heart. And uh, he, that inspired him to, uh, to co-write this tune. And the final selection is uh, written by Oscar Brown Jr. It's called The Hum Drum Blues, and it's all about working and slaving and being out there in the world. So here's the music, the vocal stylings of the wonderful Sheila Jordan from her album Portrait of Sheila. I'm just a woman, a lonely woman, waiting on a weary shore. Just a woman who's only human, one you should feel sorry for. Woke up this morning around about dawn without a warning, I found he was gone. Telling, telling, telling you 
She'll make her stand. You give the kid your best, and you hope she'll pass the test when you finally send her out into the world somewhere. Although she's grown unbidden, I never am forgetting. Mama, can I have that big elephant over there? What they doing there? Hey, where they going there? And oh, mama, oh, hey, mama, hey, why dead under dare? Hey, mama, what is fair? How come I gotta share? Hey, mama, can I have that big elephant over there? Yeah, mama, can I have that big elephant over there? Yeah, mama, can I have that big elephant over there?
chilly singed her wing Forgiven is easy It's a woman like now And that could happen thing Send her back home Home ain't home without her warbling I know Make a lonely man happy She messed around with her jaybird, dilly singed her wings. Forgiven is easy, it's a woman like now, and then could happen things. Send her back home, home ain't home without a woman I know. Make a lonely man happy.
drum blues Oh baby if you love me Maybe we can get together and lose Those mean oh I'm drum blues I'm drum blues I'm drum blues I'm drum blues The vocal stylings of the incredible Sheila Jordan, who is uh, still alive and well, traveling, recording, doing all kinds of stuff. This is from her very first album, and the very first vocal album um, put out on Blue Note Records. And uh, Sheila was the recipient of that honor. Blue Note recorded primarily instrumental jazz, and this is the first full vocal album that uh, Blue Note ever issued, Portrait of Sheila, and of course it's a, a classic, recorded back in 1962, and this was her very first recording as well, under her own name, and we heard five tunes. She was accompanied here by Barry Galbraith on guitar, Steve Swallow on acoustic bass, and Denzel Best on drums, and the tunes we heard we opened with Am I Blue? Um, the second tune was uh, just her and bassist Steve Swallow, and that tune was uh, Bobby Timmons' great melody that he wrote called That Dare, and the words were by Oscar Brown Jr. Then we heard a Sheila Jordan favorite. I know this was one of her favorite tunes by Hoagie Carmichael called Baltimore Oriole, and then uh, a beautiful ballad that uh, was co-composed by Frank Sinatra, called I'm a Fool to Want You. And the final tune was dedicated to our workforce out there, all the baristas and uh, servers in restaurants and all this kind of stuff. And uh, that was written by Oscar Brown, Jr. It's called The Humdrum Blues. And, um, again, sung magnificently by the great Sheila Jordan. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, little trip into uh, this classic album. We're going to take you back in time and, and play a couple of tunes by one of the legends of jazz music who um, went on, was born in New Orleans, really, and, uh, of course, to me, he's as important a jazz figure as Louis Armstrong. I'm talking about Sidney Bechet, and um, Sidney eventually went to uh, live in Paris. Of course, he was raised in New Orleans, and he, could, he spoke fluent French. He was a Creole, by, um, and um, he spoke fluent uh, French. So he was right at home. And, of course, he became uh, uh, one of the most um, idolized musicians in um, France for many years. And they have a statue of Sidney right in the middle of Paris. And, of course, he's still remembered to this day. We're going to hear him and his Hot Six recorded um, uh, in the early 50s, actually, before he moved to Paris. This is Sidney on uh, uh, soprano saxophone with uh, Sidney de Paris on trumpet, Jimmy Archie on trombone, Don Kirkpatrick on piano, Pops Foster, one of the first um, acoustic bass players, Pops Foster, uh, on bass, and Manzi Johnson on drums. And uh, a similar personnel for the second tune. 
And we're going to hear two classic Bechet tunes. The first one is um, a standard tune called Avalon. And the second tune has got one of the greatest blues performances ever. Sydney switches over to clarinet on, um, on this one. And it's called Blue Horizon. And that is a magnificent performance. None other than the great Sidney Bechet.
Some wonderful traditional New Orleans-style jazz by none other than the late, great Sidney Bechet, one of the real legends of the music. And, of course, we heard him first. This was his uh, little band called his Hot Six, and um, it featured Sidney on the first tune, on uh, a tune called Avalon, on soprano saxophone. Uh, of which he was uh, one of the pioneers on that uh, on that horn, and uh, the second tune Sidney switched over to clarinet, 
and played uh, his classic Blue Horizon. And some of the people in the band, Pops Foster on bass, Manzi Johnson on drums, and uh, Sidney DePanis on trumpet, and a couple of trombone players, Jimmy Archie and Vic Dickinson, and um, Don Kirkpatrick on piano on the first tune, and Art Hodes on piano on the second tune. Sidney Bechet and his Hot Six. Yeah, some great... Uh, look back at uh, traditional New Orleans jazz. We're going to go to a legendary concert now that took place in Toronto in May of 1953, and that's the famous Massey Hall concert, featuring one of the last meetings of all the pioneers of modern jazz, and they assembled at Massey Hall for this uh, concert. Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, Bud Powell on piano, Charles Mingus on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And, of course, this is uh, a legendary performance. And the interesting thing about this uh, version, what we're going to hear is um, there is no overdubbing. What happened on most of the recordings of these uh, tunes that we listened to, um, they were issued initially on debut records, and Charles Mingus was very disappointed in the pickup of his bass. So what he did was um, try to um, duplicate what he played on bass at the concert, and so consequently he overdubbed his bass, and um, that's the versions that we mo- that we hear most of the time, the, the, the commonly issued version. This version doesn't have the overdubs. This is the, the way it was recorded on the tape. And um, Mingus's wife, uh, Celia, was manning the, the tape recorder. And uh, when Mingus got the tapes back in New York, he took possession of the tapes of these concerts because he wanted to release them on his own label. Um, Well, he wanted to sell them to Norman Grants, and Norman Grants turned them down. And so Mingus decided to issue them on his own uh, label, which was Debut Records. And uh, when he heard the uh, tapes when he got home, he was uh, disappointed in the pickup of the bass. It's a little weak, but... um, This is the way, um, the closest example of how this music sounded. And we're going to hear two incredible pieces of music. The first one is Tad Dameron's modern jazz classic, Hot House. And the second tune, of course, is Dizzy Gillespie's most famous composition, A Night in Tunisia. So here then from the legendary Massey Hall concert, Hot House and Night in Tunisia. And I would like to play Hot House.
And now we'd like to play Cisoir en Tunis, A Night in Tunisia. Thank <laughs> you. 
two performances from the legendary Massey Hall concert, May the 15th, 1953, recorded in Toronto. And, of course, that was one of the last great meetings of uh, all the forefathers of modern jazz. Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, Bud Powell on piano, Charles Mingus on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And uh, this edition of the complete jazz at Massey Hall, there are no overdubs. Uh, Most of the common recordings that we listen to from this concert, um, Mingus uh, overdubbed his bass later on because he was disappointed. Um, um, A lot of his bass playing was kind of lost on the original tapes. So this recording goes back to the original tapes, and uh, it's not really that bad. Uh, I can understand where Mingus was a little disappointed, but um, really um, this is the undubbed edition. And we heard um, the final two tunes of the concert. Uh, We opened with uh, the great Tad Dameron anthem of uh, modern jazz called Hot House, and the... Second tune was A Night in Tunisia, both uh, announced by Dizzy Gillespie. May the 15th, 1953, in Toronto, Ontario. It's quite a night for uh, jazz music, and uh, at least we have these... Uh, um, Mingus decided to uh, bring his tape recorder, and uh, his wife, Celia, manned the, uh, uh, the tape deck, and uh, preserve this concert for forever. There you go. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca. And uh, we'll be right back with some music by trombonist J.J. Johnson right after this. Every weekday from Tuesday, September the 6th to Wednesday, September the 14th, CITR will be hosting Live at Lunch, a live concert series taking place right outside the UBC Nest. Come by to see some of Vancouver's best bands play for free or tune in to CITR 101.9 FM to hear the show. Featuring Les Chosettes, Mesa Luna, Ashley Shadow, Devours, Hazy, Mirepoix, and Mayor Patino. That's every weekday between September 6th and 14th, live outside the UBC Nest and on air at CITR 101.9 FM. Brought to you by the UBC AMS and CITR. And also thanks to the sponsors, Scotiabank, TD, Milk West, Y-Yoga, Sage, and Evo. Lunch is served. AMS Events presents the 32nd Annual Welcome Back Barbecue at the UBC Nest, featuring Earl Sweatshirt, Autograph, Always Humans, and My Gay Husband. This Friday, September 16th. Doors are at 3.30 p.m. Tickets are available online or free with your AMS First Week wristband. Something sinister to it. Pendulum swinging slower, degenerate moving through the city with criminal stealth. J.J. Johnson, of course, is one of the modern jazz pioneers, and uh, his instrument, the trombone. J.J. was also a wonderful arranger, composer, and recorded uh, scads of albums for uh, various labels. 
This was uh, a working band that uh, J.J. had together in the uh, late 50s, featuring himself on trombone, and a Belgian-born saxophone and flute player par excellence named Bobby Jaspar and Nat Adderley on cornet, uh, Cannonball Adderley's brother, who was taking a vacation from uh, the Adderley Brothers Band because Cannonball at the time was working with Miles Davis. So Nat Adderley sought employment with J.J. Johnson, and here he is. Cedar Walton on piano, Spanky DeBrest on bass, and Albert Heath, the youngest Heath brother, on drums. And we'll hear two tunes from this album called Really Livin', which came out on Columbia Records. This is a tune, the first tune is called Me Too. It's actually based on a standard, um, and it's uh, written by J.J. Johnson. Uh, interesting tune. And uh, uh, the second tune is written by Sonny Rollins and called Decision and features uh, Bobby Jaspar on both flute and tenor saxophone on that tune. Two great tunes by the J.J. Johnson Sextet.
Two tunes by trombonist J.J. Johnson from a wonderful Columbia album called Really Livin'. And uh, featured J.J. on trombone, and of course he arranged for the band. Bobby Jaspar from Belgium on tenor saxophone and flute. Nat Adderley on cornet. Cedar Walton on piano. Spanky de Brest on bass. It's a great nickname, eh? Uh, Spanky. His his name is James DeBrest, but he's known as Spanky from Philadelphia. And another great Philadelphian, Albert Tootie Heath on drums. And um, the first tune was entitled Me Too, and um, it was written uh, um, over Cole Porter's uh, great tune called, uh, um, <laughs> I forget the title. I was, I was going to... Uh, yeah, anyway, um, oh, yeah, uh, Cole Porter's tune, It's All Right With Me. So uh, Jay, Jay wrote his, that arrangement based on that tune and called it Me Too. And uh, the second tune was written by Sonny Rollins, and it's actually a 13-bar blues called Decision. And uh, a neat tune, and we heard Bobby Jaspar uh, uh, stretch out on the flute on that tune as well. Really living, J.J. Johnson, nice little band. 
We're going to uh, move now to one of the most distinctive voices of the tenor saxophone. I'm talking about Chicago-born Clifford Jordan. And uh, he's featured here with Tommy Flanagan on piano and Spike Lee's dad, Bill Lee, on bass and Grady Tate on drums. We're going to hear two tunes to close the show this evening. The first tune is a Charlie Parker composition based on the Gershwin's great tune, Embraceable You. And the tune is called Quasimodo, and that features Clifford Jordan on tenor saxophone. That's his main instrument. The final tune is a neat little catchy tune written by Jordan called Blues for Muse. And that features him on two instruments that he is not as famous for. He's going to play the flute, and he's going to play the smaller alto saxophone on that tune. Blues for Muse. And that's going to uh, close the show. So those two tunes are going to be heard right now. Check out Quasimodo. Thank you. 
Thank you. 
That was from an album called The Adventure, and that featured one of the most distinctive voices on the tenor saxophone, and then we heard him play two instruments that he's not associated with, but plays them beautifully, Clifford Jordan. Clifford Jordan on tenor saxophone on the first tune, accompanied by Tommy Flanagan on piano, Bill Lee on bass, and Grady Tate on drums. In the second tune, Clifford played the flute and the alto saxophone, and uh, that tune was written by him, and it was called Blues for Muse. And that uh, that's it for the jazz show this evening. We'll be back next week, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the program. Uh, we're doing our sort of entertainment education series on the jazz feature, and uh, we do this every year uh, at this time. And um, we featured tonight Cannonball Adderley doing his history of jazz. This next week, we'll be doing Maestro Leonard Bernstein and What is Jazz? And he takes a a slightly different perspective um, on the music and tells you what jazz is and what jazz ain't. And also um, how it's kind of put together and all, all kinds of neat stuff. And uh, again, it's a classic recording by the late, great maestro Leonard Bernstein. And we'll be hearing that next week on The Jazz Show. I'd like to thank you very much for being out there this evening. On behalf of myself and CITR, we're here every Monday night, and we start at 9 p.m. and carry on until after midnight. And we'll be back next week, same time, same station. My name's Gavin Walker. Thanks very much for being out there. And I hope you enjoyed uh, whatever you listen to on the show. Bye-bye. Oh, and enjoy the weather. Ba-do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee Ba-do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee